0: with the world. The Red Sox knocking off the Yankees, going into the ALCS. We're heading into week six of the NFL season, and this is episode 38 of the Bearded Car Cast. Mike and Dave, I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman. Good, uh, interesting game last night in the uh, division series, the, the last division series. Which is
1: a huge rarity thus far in the baseball playoffs, where there have been Very few games, a total possibility in the division series of 20 games, but only 14 total needed. None of the series extending to a fifth game, and not many compelling tight games like we saw last night. I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that the clear two best teams in the American League have reached. The ALCS, those were the two best teams from a win perspective, the two best teams from a run differential perspective, and two teams that won their series pretty easily.
0: And interesting that the Yankees took the form of the old school uh, Boston Red Sox, just a home run mashing team. And, and the Red Sox really, under Alex Cora, have become a team that can score in a multitude of ways. And they they singled them to death in, in uh, Game 3 and then uh, in the game last night. Uh, they managed to kind of chip away at CC Sabathia, and it was the kind of the age-old argument: uh, do, you, do you trust your kind of one of your stud pitchers, and you keep trotting them out, or at the first sign of trouble, do you take them out? And uh, you know, it was obvious that uh, the Yankees wanted to stick with CC Sabathia. Some people felt maybe a little bit too long.
1: Well, that's not modern baseball. I mean, that's an old school approach that we're putting our best out there and he's going to hack it and he's going to get us through. The Red Sox kind of did a 180 on that, right, by going to David Price in the eighth inning. Or Chris, oh, Chris, Chris, Sale. Sale. Chris yeah. Sale.
0: Well, Chris Sale for three days said basically, if you oh, need me, I'm coming into the game. All I heard
1: about was how bad David Price was, and now I can't get his, his name out of my head. I, I mean, but but Chris Sale was Chris Sale, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he oh, he was man. that dominant guy. But 10, but he didn't. But he wasn't
0: throwing like gas. He was he was using his off speed stuff. He's and, just
1: really good. Yeah. He's just really good at pitching. But ten or 15, 20 years ago, this isn't the World Series Game Seven. Right. This is the Division Series yeah. Game Four, and you're up two games to one, and, and here comes Chris Sale out of the bullpen, that is much more in line with the, the modern day thinking of it.
0: And then uh, Craig Kimbrell came awfully close to touching the third rail. He did. Uh, loading up the bases and, you know, lucky that the uh, Yankees didn't tie or even win in a walk-off in that game. It was, and it was interesting, I thought, because it was kind of a, I don't say, you had the feeling the Red Sox had control of that game going into the ninth inning, and then all of a sudden you walk the first guy. You you could have
1: argued to stick with Sale. The problem with doing that is what does that say to Kimbrell moving forward if you stick with Sale for the ninth inning?
0: Well, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue was more they they knew that they were only going to, for the most part, although Chris Sale did say, I could be used multiple innings. I I think the context going into that was he was only going to pitch the the one inning. So that really took that debate out of it. And yes, I the way Chris Sale was pitching, I think hindsight, yeah, yeah, I would have kept him in.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're going to need Kimbrel for, you know, they need eight more wins to win a World Series. They're going to need him in five or six of those games, and maybe you need him to put out a fire somewhere else. I mean, I, I, I thought it was managed correctly. I think going to Sale was... A 50-50, I don't disagree with it. When you've got a game, you want to win the game, you want to put the well, season away. The, I
0: mean, that was like Bill Belichick going forward on uh, like fourth and two from, you know, his own Well, 40- it,
1: it's not entirely unlike what Sean McVay did last week with, with the Rams. They had that fourth and two. They were somewhere in the vicinity of... Of midfield, or maybe it was fourth and one, somewhere in the vicinity of midfield. They were leading the game with about yeah. three minutes to go, and instead of punting and seeing if Russell Wilson was going to go down the field and beat him, he said, "No, no, no. What well, we're going to go for it. Quarterback sneak. Goff, first down. Game over." I mean, you're putting your offense, or in this case, you're putting your best pitcher on the mound. And you're getting those three critical outs. It seems to me that sports overall are having a pretty large change and it is it's becoming less risk averse less conservative there's less punting there's less playing for ties right. there's more going for it. there's more we're going to try to win this game right now and worry about tomorrow tomorrow
0: yeah that's absolutely the case and uh yeah i agree i i thought joe uh alex core did a great job managing i think there's a lot of um on the shows last night, a lot of people were kind of saying maybe Aaron Boone got out out managed a little bit, but I think the Red Sox were the better team. They, you know, they they you know they won more games. They won the division by like eight games, right? Uh, even though the Yankees were a good team, hundred win team, and it's rare that you see
1: well the four best teams in baseball from a record perspective were all in the American yeah. League. But that actually brings up a really good point. So uh, both series have like relatively close to even money odds. They're they're both close to pick'ems. The Dodgers are a little bit of a favorite over over, uh, Milwaukee, and then the Red Sox and Astros is is basically a toss-up. So if you believe that the American League had the four best teams record-wise, they did. If you believe they had a more difficult path during the regular season, if you believe the winner of the ALCS will have played the better team, do you then believe that... The AL team is going to be a big favorite and should beat the National League team. Is the ALCS the actual World Series?
0: Um, I think, from a record standpoint, I think you're gonna you're gonna see that. You know, especially when you look at um, how dominant both the Astros and the Red Sox have been. Astros have won 100 games now in back-to-back years. Are the defending.
1: Uh, World Series champions, they have... They gave up the fewest runs in baseball, yeah. and it wasn't close, sports fans.
0: No, it wasn't even close. And then you look at, you know, what they have uh, from a pitching standpoint, uh, you know, with Verlander and Cole, and, uh, you know, you have Asuna in the back end, even though that Keichel. was a little controversial. Yeah, Keichel, uh, who, who pitched uh, the other day. And, you know, and then Boston counters with Chris Sale, and they have Porcello, and, you know, I thought Nathan Eovaldi came in and uh, you know I mean he outshone David Price who couldn't even get out of the second inning in game two and he's he's supposed to you know, he doesn't play he hasn't played well in the postseason, hasn't pitched well against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. But uh, I don't know, be interesting to, I think that's gonna be the more marquee matchup. Even though the Dodgers I mean you put the Dodgers on anything and it's gonna
1: be So the odds a marquee. to win the World Series right, right. now what are, the, are, what are they? something along the lines of Astros and Red Sox both just over two to one, something in the six to five, seven to five range. The Dodgers are about three to one and Milwaukee is about four to one. Where would you put your wager? Mm. Huh. I mean I, I
0: I you'd have to think you still have to put the Astros up top, I think. Yeah. From a betting perspective though, I mean maybe the Red Sox.
1: I think the best value is the Dodgers, because I think they're better than Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has probably the MVP on their team. And Ryan Braun kind of shook off his age and has had a really good year. And they do all those little baseball things that everyone loves. The closer has been phenomenal. But from a depth perspective, I like the Dodgers, and from a star perspective, I certainly like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been in the playoffs a bunch of years in a row now, and Clayton Kershaw could potentially pitch three times in a seven-game series if they need him to. Getting that value on the Dodgers, because they're probably going to be in the World Series, they have a very good chance of being in the World Series, seems reasonable, but I think if the Dodgers play either the Red Sox or the Astros, they're a underdog. I don't know if it's a prohibitive underdog, but but they have less than 50% chance of winning. I think the AL champion has the better chance of winning. I just don't know how you separate those two teams.
0: Well, and the interesting thing is this will be the first year that regular season record will dictate home field advantage. So that kind of plays into That's the AL team. Yeah. The yeah, AL, the AL the team AL will team. have the right, they'll have the the World Series uh Home field advantage. So. Is there
1: anything in the AL or NLCS that you're specifically looking forward to? Like, I'm just hoping for good games. We have had several years of baseball playoffs, I would say maybe five of the last seven years, that have just been. Unbelievably compelling. The Madison Gardener year comes to mind. Obviously, um, the the Cubs World Series was incredible. Those close games with Cleveland, and then the rain delay, and then the the extra innings. I'm just hoping for for good games. We haven't had good games. The baseball playoffs thus far have been a bust. The NL. Wild card game was terrific, yeah. and last night's Red Sox Yankee game got close late It was right. really good. But by and large, lopsided, uninteresting games. Well, that
0: should not have been as close as it was uh, in reality. But I think you have to look at uh, in the Astros Red Sox. You know, you have kind of the the mentor versus the mentee with you know with Alex Cora going up uh, against his former team. You have Justin Verlander. Um, I think he's compelling story back for a second year. You know, he was a late addition last year at the trade deadline and really helped put him over the edge in the World Series last year. You know, how does this help his legacy if he wins a second World Series? And, of course, they'd have to get, get to the World Series and then win it to do that. But I think those are kind of a thing, couple things that are interesting. Can the Red Sox um, win a World Series in the modern era in their third different manager? Yep. Uh, With a a rookie manager, Uh, but he's you know seemingly has pulled out all the stops. I mean, the lineup change he made going from game two to game three, putting Brock Holt in the lineup. I mean, looks genius after the guy gets uh, hits for the cycle.
1: Yeah, well,
0: you know, uh,
1: hitting a home run off of no, granted it was Austin Roma.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, but still, I mean, it it, it is something that
1: never. I mean, it never happened before. Exactly. So come Sunday, no one's going to give a coot about what's going on in the baseball (laughs) playoffs because the NFL takes center stage. This is the Bearded Car Cast. I'm Dave Friedman with Mike Pacheco. We're glad you're listening. We hope that you'll be a part of the show. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Follow us on all of your social media streams. I think we are exactly a month away now from the first Winthrop basketball game of the season, which means our bearded carcass will get back on the road, excited to uh, go see yeah. and taste and feel some different parts of the country. So, so that's exciting and, and coming up. But in the meanwhile, um, the NFL season has, I think it's progressed as it always has. Here we are just over a month into the year and everyone is stunned. Well you you can't always be stunned right, because right. cuz the league is unpredictable. I mean, and just when people were wondering whether the Rams could go unbeaten, they played a clunker and they beat, they still won. They beat Seattle last week and everyone's favorite uh next greatest quarterback of all time Pat Mahomes <laughs> yeah. in a in a lopsided Kansas City win through two interceptions and, and and no touchdowns i think that Kansas City New England game coming up oh, on yeah. sunday is absolutely fascinating it's the old guard the team that two weeks ago people were were questioning and then kind of the new up and coming next greatest quarterback of all time it's a three and a half point spread with the Patriots' favorite at home. How do you see it? How, what, what is your current take on the Pats? Everyone was so concerned, and then they bulldozed the Colts and Dolphins, and now they're back to being the greatest thing since sliced bread. Interestingly, in Super Bowl future odds right now, the Rams are the three to one favorite. The only two teams under 10 to one besides the Rams, both the Patriots. And the Chiefs are seven to one.
0: Well, it's like showing up to the beach at the weekend, and you don't know whether it's going to be high tide or low tide. I mean, it, with them, it's been—they came out of the blocks really well. Uh, didn't look so great against the Lions. Then you come back this week. You have didn't
1: look so great. They were embarrassed.
0: <laughs> well, that's not looking great. Yeah. That's accurate. It's not. That's that's an accurate statement. That was not Tom a, Brady was fake terrible
1: news. against a defense that has been, you know, less than brilliant. But
0: you know, I think we've seen over the years that the. The Patriots are good for a clunker early on. And, you know, last year, uh, the clunker was against a good Chiefs team. Uh, and again, that was the game that Tom Brady was washed up and the Belichick yep. magic was over and the Patriots were going to go back to being like a sub 500 team. And, of course, they didn't do that. And, and I think if one thing shows about Bill Belichick teams is they're a much better team. In December no than they are in September, so a lot of this, you know, sky is falling. Everybody falling off the cliff is is, um, you know, it's a little bit premature. But you also look at what uh, what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, you know, now you're bringing Josh Gordon into the fold, and it looks like he and Tom Brady have developed a nice little chemistry. So this game is interesting to me, Dave, because I think had it been maybe week two or three, you know, maybe it's a a, a you know a different outcome. Thinking about it going in, but When you see where these teams are right now, and... Oh, do we
1: have our first call-in guest on the beginning? It's actually
0: our good friend, Bobby Stevens, but I'll I'll call him back later. Yeah, we'll call him back later. Um, So, they're starting to click. Now, the defense, to me, is still um, Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, if if they're going to get... If the front four is going to get pressure, if they're going to make things uneasy for Mahomes, you know, the McCourties have been playing... Very well uh, in the secondary, so I mean, that, that's going to be an interesting matchup to look for. And you
1: know, Sony Michelle has been
0: a nice addition. You know, the Patriots are a team that
1: I think the running game has been but see, the, the most impressive and part. That before I you cut weeks. me off, this,
0: this the, the final point you I want to make. Cut anyone a, on? I know that's you wouldn't right? never do such no, a thing. Right? It's disrespectful. Uh, we've seen over the last couple of years, the Patriots have been really a more pass oriented team. They still want to have an importance on running the game. But they, now you have a guy that you really feel like can get you 100 yards, 100 plus yards a game. Not that they couldn't do that before, but it was more of a in concert or it'd be maybe a flukish type thing. I think Patriots fans come into this game thinking Sonny Michelle is capable of 100 yards every game. And, it, and that opens up, and the Kansas feels.
1: City defense hasn't been very good. That being said, I wonder if it's a little overreaction. The Patriots were dead. Ridiculous. And but now, everybody
0: wants But the thing is, it's one of those things where people want the Patriots yep. to be dead. So they see the first yep. sign of it. And they say, oh, good. The Patriots are now dead.
1: Right. But now two wins over Miami and Indianapolis at home. I don't know that that means you're about to win the Super Bowl no. either. Like you look at what these two teams did, and yeah, it's one game, it's small sample size, but Patriots went to Jacksonville, got their buck kicked, and Kansas City hosted Jacksonville and kicked the Jags pretty good. Yeah, Blake Bortles is sometimes good like he was against New England and sometimes bad like he was against Kansas City. I just don't know that the right team is the favorite in this game. I think getting over a field goal with the Chiefs provides value. Now, if New England goes out and they give you the brilliant Brady game and the great Belichick game plan and they look like the better team and they win, then I think we have to all huddle up and go, yeah, you know what, Uh, they're probably going to be hosting the AFC Championship game again. I mean, this game has tremendous meaning. Like, Like, very likely, the Patriots lose this game. They have three losses and... And they lose the tiebreaker to Kansas City. Mm It's going to be real hard for that AFC Championship game to go through Boston. But if they win, it kind of feels like we're back where we started.
0: Well, and these are the opponents, right? Houston was a 27-20 win. So 20-plus points, 27 points seems to be the number for them right now. The two losses, they scored 20 points against Jacksonville, losing 31-20. They only scored 10 points against the Lions. That was a 26-10 game. Then they beat Miami 38-7. And Indianapolis, 38-24. So none of those teams that they've beaten, I'd say, are in the upper echelon elite of the league right now, uh, although Houston has started to play a little bit better. Miami got off to a great start. but And Jacksonville, obviously, was is a team that people had as a, a potential. The
1: over-under in that game is Fifty nine. They're telling you you're going to need at least thirty to win that game. The way Kansas City plays, they score points yeah. and they give up points. Twenty four is going to be a losing number in my opinion in that game. But the, the Patriots could lose that game forty two thirty five or win that game fifty two forty five two. I mean, I, I think both of those teams are going to yield points. So, Might be one of those who has the ball last.
0: Yeah. So where are we on the Carolina Panthers? They uh, finished their their. First four games, everybody... And the NFL likes to put their seasons into quarters, and the, the Panthers just hit their quarter pole after a 63 yard field goal, which ties the second longest ever in NFL history. If you go back and watch
1: the broadcast, the TV crew says, and I quote, they're not in field goal range yet. <laughs> and then they bring out the field goal kicker okay. to kick the game winning field goal.
0: And what's interesting, Chase Blackburn, uh, former linebacker who had ended his career with the Panthers, now the special teams coach, you know, they, they obviously monitor this, uh, the, the warm ups and went up to Ron Rivera about a minute and a half to go in the game and said, hey, if it gets to it, uh, he can go from 65.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was good from 70. Yeah. He had had no problem. Look at so many teams in the league. Cleveland's the one that that stands out, but Green Bay this last Sunday. If you can't kick the ball through, you're costing yourself wins. That is, I think that's a a, a season, not a season, but a a narrative-defining win. You lose that game. And no one blames the guy for missing a 63-yard field goal. And you go, we had this game in hand. We were up double digits. We blew it. The Giants aren't particularly good. Man, oh man, we got a lot of work to do.
0: Well, and the Panthers but, really had kind of outplayed them too. Totally. You know, I mean, the time of possession I think was eight or nine minutes the, in the, the Panthers, Panthers' favor. The Panthers
1: were the better team, though. Both quarterbacks made major major mistakes. mistakes. Just yeah. just
0: critical mistakes at bad time. Nothing's ever a good. Bad time parts for, of the
1: field. Bad yeah. times in the game. Yeah. But but. Now, they win, and you're going, giddy up! It's looking pretty good, but it's amazing how one, and I don't want to call it fluky, but a 63-yard field goal doesn't happen every day, no. and you win that game, you're walking off the field going, we're one of the better teams in the NFC, our record proves that, we're feeling good about ourselves. He misses that long dart, and you're going, "Jeez, we blew a game at home to a bad team, yada, yada, yada. A- and I think the answer is, we don't know, but we do know something. The NFC South started the year with... Well, probably the best team in the division is New Orleans. Atlanta and Carolina might be one step behind. And then Tampa Bay is towards the rear. Then Tampa Bay with Fitzpatrick jumped out to that unbelievable start to the year. And we had the conversation, who's the best team in the division? You can argue for all of them. Well, now Fitzpatrick has been benched. Tampa Bay looks like they probably are what we thought they were. Maybe they're more competitive, but they're not probably a playoff team. Atlanta dinged up. Atlanta's a debacle, and I think we could see it coming. They lost three yeah. key defensive yeah. starters. They're done, Mike. Like, there aren't many teams in the entire league that you can point to and go totally and utterly hopeless. I I, I don't know how that's coming back. Steve Sarkeesian can't seem to use... Julio Jones yeah. and all those offensive weapons. The defense is a disaster. I, I, I don't know that that coaching staff uh, has that many more weeks left in them. I, I think they're in big, big trouble. That has gone from a Super Bowl team to a mess mm-hmm. really quickly.
0: So the Panthers have Washington coming up, and a little bit like the New England-Kansas City game. I think this is more importance maybe for Carolina to get past the Redskins. But when you look at this is a road game. They'll have the Redskins. And then the Eagles, the bit of a – it's kind of the – I don't know what we'll call it a Super Bowl, but it's kind of the Josh Norman game because there'll be a lot of hype about Josh, Josh Norman, Norman. who's playing up,
1: very poorly. Who's played
0: very – who was benched uh, in the game on Monday night. Washington coming off a short week. Why
1: you have to be leery of big contracts in the NFL when guys get older – they get, don't get better, they get worse. When guys get a bunch of money, and this is a generalization, but get a lot of money in the bank, all of a sudden, ask Le'Veon Bell, a little bit more worried about injuries, less worried about pounding out those yards. And I don't know what happened to Josh Norman, but you know whether it was Dave Gettleman... It but was hindsight
0: Gettle- makes Dave Gettleman's decision look n- pretty good. No
1: question about it. Like Any big contract you get, you have to really think before you get... Give it. And I read something online this morning, and I thought this was a really interesting point about Khalil Mack. And it is, the Raiders stink. And with Khalil Mack, the Raiders would stink a little bit less. But not so much that they would be going to the playoffs. Not so much that they would be contending. So now Khalil Mack goes to Chicago. They pay him a bazillion dollars. Yeah, the Raiders would be better off to have more good players than not more good players. But Cleo Mack wasn't making them a playoff team, and now they've got extra draft picks. I think the consensus that, oh, my God, they traded their best player, how on God's green earth can you do that? Like... Yeah, you got to temper that a little bit because with him they weren't that good. Without him they're not that good and paying him a whole bunch of money and taking up a big percentage of the salary cap. Yeah, you've got a really good player but your team still weren't nowhere close to good enough.
0: And you're in the sweepstakes for potentially getting that number 1 pick next year. Absolutely. So that you know, that's the uh the NFL process, right? Kind of stink it up and get the number one pick and then try and collect assets and then try and get back to back to form. But that's not going to play very well in Oakland because it's such an interesting scenario, right? Or maybe it is perfectly, right? You stink for two or three years and you try to get a winning ball club when you go into the new stadium in Las Vegas. They
1: just don't have a plan. Because yeah. they have the oldest roster in the NFL, so they're not really building for the future. I right. mean, the John Gruden thing is not looking particularly good right now. I mean, you, you got to have a plan, whether it's the tanking teams or the winning now teams or, or building around a quarterback. Like, it's just it's unclear what they're doing.
0: Welcome back to the Bearded CarCast episode 38. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Friedman, alongside. You can get involved too. We're very interactive. At Bearded CarCast is how you follow us on Twitter. Bearded CarCast at Outlook.com is how you can email us. And now it's the uh, time on the podcast. We just kind of uh, run roughshod over some quick topics. And let's start with the FBI investigation into college basketball, Dave, because uh, you know things aren't looking very good for Louisville.
1: I just got my name hasn't come
0: up. <laughs> <off. laughs> we, we are not involved. Uh, did, th- this was—I don't know if you saw. This was kind of funny. Um, so, uh, Bruce Bowen's dad uh, was on the stand, I guess, on Monday or yesterday. And I, I he was guess, on. He
1: was on last week too. Yes,
0: last. But well, last week I think he, there were a lot of bombshells as far as uh, big Adidas schools uh, were named, and then I guess yesterday during the testimony, uh, some Nike schools were brought up, and the the answers started to sound a lot like I don't recall that. I don't remember. And somebody put a, a, a picture up from uh, The Godfather 2, which I think was Clemenza, yep. who was singing, and then all of a sudden they got to him, yeah. and then he said, ah, I don't remember that.
1: I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, I don't know if Brian Bowen Sr. is to be believed or not, but he's in a court under oath, yeah. with perjury out there as right. a possibility. And more or less, he said... Everyone was paying me. AAU coaches were paying me. High school coaches were paying me. Seemingly like a third of the country was paying me. But on wiretap, supposedly, there is the associate head basketball coach at Louisville talking about a payout. Yeah. That's not good. That's not good. And it's not good particularly when it comes while Louisville was on probation. (laughs) Yeah. In, on the heels of Louisville having prostitutes in the dorm rooms with recruits. Right, the right.
0: That's generally frowned upon.
1: Usually frowned upon. And yeah. there's been some discussion recently about whether Louisville could be hit with the death penalty, which we haven't seen since SMU football. But... The, the, the FBI trial, if you haven't followed it, there are no cameras or audio recordings or even um, right. social media sketches. in the courtroom. So twice a day at the end of testimony and at recess for lunch, the four or five, six reporters covering it run outside, quickly get to their phone or laptop and just start banging yeah. out stuff. And every day it's like... Oregon, Paul Louisville, yeah. like Xavier, like all of these schools are right. in some way. But wasn't the actual head coach the new
0: Asheville head coach? Wasn't he named in one of them?
1: I don't know. Was he? He was with Shaka Smart at at Texas and. Uh, at VCU, I'm not sure if Mike Morrell was involved yeah, or I think not, he not. But, but that's because the there crazy was a crazy thing. There's so many names. Yeah, right. like, it's, it, it seems like everyone. Right. And allegedly. We have to
0: use alleged. Uh, it
1: is alleged. But yeah. it's not rumors. Right. This is testimony in right. federal court. Right. Right. Uh, like, Creighton. Like, like, what is going to happen? Like, like th- there seem to be only two options to me. Either people are going to get in big trouble, and a lot of them. Like, coaches are going to lose yeah. their job now or in the middle of the season or at the end of the trial or something like that, or the NCAA is going to do nothing and just, like, no, I didn't hear that. No, I didn't see that. Did- what are you talking about? Like, how can you do... But they
0: have to do something, don't they?
1: It sure seems that right? way. I mean,
0: you can't just say it's a. It's only a criminal... Thi- I mean, it's it's affecting the balance of... Competition.
1: The the system is a joke. Right. People simply recognize and know the rules and decide. They're not going to follow them. I mean, and it's so brazen. It would be as if a guy hit a ball out to left field and ran from home plate to second base without stopping at first. <laughs> I mean, like it, it's not like skirting the rules. It's, it's pile driving immediately yeah. through them. Like, like, this is such a huge right. story. Yeah. And it seems to me the puppets getting is like, relatively minimal and i know college basketball doesn't push the needle like the nfl does but like it's grotesque the way seemingly a lot of people are, are running about this and it really kind of amplifies the joke that the rice panel was yeah. i mean like to to kind of rubber stamp what the ncaa was doing and saying yeah everything was was basically okay you need to make these changes that may or may not have an impact what what about universities and, and high prominent people need to go i mean th- there needs to be carnage in order to to show that th- this matters and if this doesn't matter i mean the institution is is it, it, it's a farce
0: Well, some people would say the strike zone of uh, Angel Hernandez was a farce. And uh, he's a guy that uh, has drawn a lot of controversy. And, of course, he has a lawsuit pending against Major League Baseball discrimination, uh, although he has... Uh, he has umpired a, a lot of big games.
1: Well, I, I don't think the strike zone was too big a problem last night in Game Four. CC
0: Sabathia had a problem with it, but that, that's true. But, but I, then Drew Parcell came back and said he didn't think it was that bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I went back and read the analytics on it, and supposedly there were two strikes, one against each pitcher, that were absolutely wrong. But one, we're,
0: I think one of them was was uh, in that last. Uh, inning again with Aaron Judge against Craig Kimbrel. That
1: that could be right. I, I think what I actually saw was the starters. I think there oh, okay. was one wrong against Porcello and one wrong against Sabathia. So, so but you know, the balls and strikes. They're 200 pitches or 300 pitches in a game. You're you're gonna miss a few of them. The problem is there were four plays at first base yeah. in, in game three. I right. mean, it was like the last play of the game last night. I think you could see in real time just like I could. It was an out, and the series yes. was over. And because you have replay, you went back. Yeah. But the umpire clearly, clearly got it got right. It right. Yep. 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 Those were the calls in Game 3. Angel Hernandez was clearly yeah. getting wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's not good enough. Now, umpiring, just like officiating in, in football or in basketball, well, it's, human it's a difficult yep. sport, and there is going to be some error. But, Mike, what does it tell you when there's a controversy and nothing comes on of one side. As in, I have not seen one person stand up and go, Angel Hernandez is the victim here. Angel Hernandez is actually a very good up. No one has said right, that. Right. I mean, like, like, have, have you, I mean, I see players coming out. I see media coming out. I, people I trust. Jeff Passon at Yahoo Sports follows baseball at a very, very high level. Wrote an article just ripping yeah. Angel Hernandez and Current players and Pedro Martinez, past players, I mean, with no seeming reason to go after this guy have just skewered him.
0: Yeah, he's uh, certainly a lightning rod and it doesn't doesn't appear that's going to be going away anytime soon. All right, before we close it out, we always like to uh, enrich people's wallets um, so they can either take your picks or go against them, however they, yeah, they feel is the most successful. If
1: they've gone with my overall yeah. picks this year, they're right around 500. It's really nothing yeah. to get excited about. And my primary picks have been worse than that. So, 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 really, really <laughs> You kinda, came out of the block we're, strong, we're, too. We're, we're treading water. Um, we'll give you four picks because that's been the best formula for us. There are two games I really like this week. Kansas City plus the three and a half against New England, but my primary game is going to be Miami against Chicago. I like the Dolphins getting right now it's at three, but it's at minus 120 shaded towards the Bears, which means by the end of the week, you're going to be able to get three and a half. I have felt very strongly that the Bears are drastically overrated. Mitch Trubisky has had one good game. The Dolphins blew a 17-point game last week in Cincinnati. Very easily could be 4-1. and one. I don't think they're a great team. I think these are two very similarly okay teams, part of that vast middle in the mm-hmm. NFL. But I'm taking the home team, and I'm getting more than a field goal. So primary pick is going to be Dolphins plus 3.5 against Chicago. I like Kansas City plus 3.5 against New England. And the other two I'm going to give you, Mike, are I'm betting against Atlanta every Mm, week the rest of the season. I think that they are – I think they have – Problem was with the offensive coordinator, defensive injuries. I'm not telling you that they're going to go 4-12, but I think they're on their way to 7-9, and nine, and you're giving me a Tampa Bay team off a bye, adding Jameis Winston, getting more than a field goal. Tampa Bay plus 3.5 in Atlanta. And, and the last game I like this week is I, I've picked against Cleveland virtually every week this <laughs> season. The Browns are 3-2 and two against the spread. They've played three overtime games. I think the Chargers are better. I think they're the better football team. I'm going to take the Chargers minus one at Cleveland. All right, anything college-wise? haven't looked at the spreads in college, but I'm interested to see. I saw our friend uh, Reginald Walker uh, during his podcast on Twitter made mention of is there a path for a non-Power 5 team? And when you look at the top of college football when you look at the standings it seems to me there's gonna be an opening the question is who is the opening for right alabama and georgia are both undefeated they're ranked one and two there's a pretty good chance the sec is going to get two teams into the playoff you could dispute whether or not that should be the case if either of those teams were to lose during the regular season and then the other one were to beat them, then I think you could very easily get only one in the playoffs, but probably two SEC teams in the playoffs. Ohio State and Clemson and Notre Dame are all 6-0. Notre Mm -hmm. Dame has a pretty easy path to go undefeated, but that's not a foregone conclusion. It seems to me if two out of those three teams were to lose a game, Ohio State plays in a weak Big Ten, Clemson plays in a weak ACC, obviously Notre Dame's not in a conference. If two of those three teams were to come up with an L, you'd be looking at two SEC teams, the one of those two teams, then Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, that's undefeated, and then you'd have one open spot. West Virginia is unbeaten, but they're going to be underdog in multiple games still to come. And then you'd be talking about one loss teams. At that point, I sure would like to see Central Florida. Right. Remember, Cincinnati's
0: undefeated right now, too. And those two
1: teams will play each other, which is good for, for each of them for their strength of schedule and such. It's not going to happen. It's run by the big conferences. There's money in the big conferences. But if two out of three Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame lose, I think you can make a really good argument for a non-power five team. Now, what happens if with
0: Notre Dame? I mean, you say let's say Clemson and Ohio State, uh, Georgia, one of the SEC teams, and Notre Dame.
1: If there are five of them for four spots,
0: if there's five of them that are undefeated, is Notre Dame guaranteed a spot?
1: Well, I don't think they're guaranteed a spot, but they've played a schedule. I mean, the win over Michigan is looking better and better as Michigan plays better. The win over Stanford was a dominating one. Virginia Tech is not ranked like they were earlier, but they're a pretty good team. Yeah, I, I mean, they still have to play USC. Syracuse is having a solid season. It's hard to imagine Notre Dame being unbeaten and not making the playoff.
0: All right, I think that does it for us on the Bearded Carcast. Stay tuned next week, getting closer to the college basketball season, which means we'll be going on the road. So check out Winter's schedule. If there's a place that we go that you think uh, there's a spot we absolutely have to go to, whether it's uh, cultural or our favorite
1: food, let us know. Carcast at Outlook.com. Let me just one moment further what I was saying about yeah. Notre Dame. If all of those teams were to go unbeaten, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, there are five unbeaten teams. Alabama and Georgia still have to play mm-hmm. in the SEC title game. All of those teams go unbeaten. I think only one SEC team gets in.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: All right, stay tuned. At Bearded Car Cast is
0: follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening.